This morning, we're going to continue talking about just this word, encounter. Can we say that together? Encounter. Now, I don't want to just hype this word up so much, but the, the reality is this word has been burning in us as a church for the last two years. And, you know, a lot of times we're just, Lord, what's, where's the direction? Where do you sense that you're, you want to take this church family? Where are we going? And this word just keeps, you know, coming strong on the inside of us. So that means I believe that we need to continue to go into it, jump ourselves and throw ourselves at it to really pull out everything that the Lord has for us. And again, the question that we ask with this is, what do we mean by this word encounter? What do we mean by that? And it's just simply this. I believe with all my heart that the Lord is drawing us. Say, he's drawing me. If you're part of this church family, this is what the Lord's calling you and I to. He's drawing you through his love to position our lives in such a way that he has access. You know, a lot of times a misconception that there's a lot of times in the church is that God will do whatever he wants to do. Not true. You don't find that anywhere in scripture. In fact, what you find regularly is God is looking for someone to partner with. And that's what you find all the way in the Old Testament. You find that in the New Testament. God is limited in what he can do on this earth. And said he needs access with a man or a woman in order to accomplish what he has in his heart to do. Not only just to bless people, but also to reach you. All right. When we start aligning our believing to his word and to his ways... Now he makes himself responsible to make the word come to pass in your life. That was good news right there. That was a, hey, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. The moment that you, we align our thinking and our believing to line up with his word and his ways, now God makes himself responsible for carrying out that word in your life. Meaning I don't have to try to make the financial thing work. I don't have to try to make all this thing work. I need to line up with how he does things. And when I line up, he shows up. So a lot of times we're going like, hey, like God, if you could just help me over here. You know, this, my, my family's in wreck. This is what's going on in it. Da, 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 da. And meanwhile, you're talking to God about what's going on in your ship. And he's like, you need to jump ship. Why? Yours is sinking. It's got holes all over it. And so we need to jump over into his boat and his ways because his doesn't sink. The world system, the world's ways, maybe how you grew up is totally going against what the word of God says. So it's a choice that we make to now jump ship and go, ah, I'm going to align my thinking and my believing to what he said in his word. And now he makes himself responsible for carrying out the word on our behalf. All right. That's Jeremiah 1.12 that he says he's watching over his word to perform it. That's what he's actually doing today. Man, that's good news. So again, God needs access to me and how does he have access to me? His way is through the word. So you and I, a lot of times, well, you kind of go, yeah, I know what the Bible says that, but I need. No, 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 there's no but. The word is the answer. And when it's the most difficult to start believing and acting on the word is when you're faced with a challenge. When you're faced with a circumstance that's meeting you head on, man, to believe and start going on what this word says is tough. Why? Because it don't look like it's going to work. So this is where the decision for you and I makes, okay, I'm Lord, I'm going to go with this. I'm going to stand on this. Oh, but my body's hurting. Oh, but the situation looks. No, no, no. Stay in the boat. Stay here. Don't jump ship. Don't just get off and quit because you're not seeing anything out here. We are not moved by what we see because what we see is temporal, meaning it is subject to change. Instead, we jump in this boat that does never, ever change. His word. Okay. Still good? All right, his words now are there. They are spirit, and when they have access to my heart, he is able to transform me from the inside out. In 2 Chronicles 69, again, the eyes of the Lord, what are they doing? This morning, what is he doing? Searching the entire earth, going back and forth. Think about it, the eyes of God. So God's not up there just pulling levers and, yeah, let's bless so-and-so. Let's do that nicely over there. Yeah, you know what? Canada does a little break. Let's cha-ching, help them out a little bit. No, he's looking, his eyes going throughout the earth, that he may support those whose heart is completely his. So what's this saying? I need access. God's looking on this earth. Who's my man? Where's my woman? Where can I go? Where can I not only show myself strong to on behalf of them, but how can I reach a city? How can I reach a you know, place of work? How can I reach a neighbor? Lord, I need access. Jesus, would you heal or would you, you know, set free my neighbor? He's going to use you. All right. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Now, 
God is always looking for someone who will just stop and give him access. I want to just show you this verse here in Exodus chapter 3 in the story of Moses. I'm sure we all heard Moses and we go, man, Moses in the Old Testament, nobody knew God like Moses did. I mean, to see him face to face, to have a 40-day fast, not eating or drinking anything for 40 days on top of a mountain, that's supernatural. Can we all agree Moses is, he's, man, he's a cool guy. Now look at this in verse 1, but let's see where it began. How did all of this start with this man Moses? Now Moses, he kept the flock. This is after he killed and tried to, you know, make his calling come to light. And he tried to make things work on his own. So all of a sudden he fled Egypt and now he's looking after his father-in-law, well, future father-in-law, his sheep. He's been there for 40 years and Moses has kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert, and he came to the mountain of God, even to um, Horeb. Verse 2. And it says, The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked and beheld the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Okay, we go, oh yeah, we, we've heard that. But verse 3, this is a very key statement for the turning point of Moses' life. All of this hinges right at this moment. Are you ready? Moses said, I will now turn aside. In other words, I'm going to leave the sheep. I'm leaving my responsibility here for a moment. I'm going to turn aside and I'm going to see this great sight and why the bush is not burnt. Now notice this verse 4. And when the Lord saw that he turned to, to the side, God called out to him. What if Moses never turned aside? What if? There's another scripture, in, I think in Luke chapter 6, I believe, when Jesus is walking on the water. And it says when he was walking across the water, he says that he was actually going to pass the disciples by. He's going to walk until they cried out, Jesus! Freaked right out. And what did he do? He came into the boat and reassured them of who they were. So what, what is all this to say? That God is looking for access. If Moses, imagine what all would have happened if Moses just... Ah, it's a burning bush. Not burning. Ah, that's kind of weird. I'm going to go get my sheep. And he just continued on his path. What would have happened to the rest of Exodus? Would it be existing? Probably not through this guy, or maybe the Lord would try another way, but the Lord is waiting for you and I to stop. Lord, what do you need? You need access. What can I do here? And there, I love this. I, I read a lot of Smith Wigglesworth. I just really enjoy learning his lifestyle and how he was. And somebody asked him this question. You know, Smith, how, how much do you pray? You must be praying hours every single day. And he says, no, no, I just about, you know, five to ten minutes every five to ten minutes. And that was the response. So it's just, what is it? We've turned Christianity into mechanics where I have to, okay, imagine if I did mechanical work with Jamie. Okay, Jamie, I'm going to give you from seven to eight o'clock in the morning is going to be our time together. After that, see ya. And maybe, you know, I'll, you know, say, hey, once in a while over text. The goal to all this is actually, you know, we have this constant text message going where it's like, hey, and then that dot, dot, dot is constantly there because things are always going on back and forth, whether it's, hey, honey, I love you so much. I'm like, girl, you're obsessed with me. Stop. But I kind of like it. Keep coming. Keep coming. But there's always this constant communication. Well, the same way with the Lord. Imagine it's just going, oh, Lord, you get from 6 to 7 in the morning, then I'm off to work, I got my duties, and that's, that's kind of it. No, he wants this to be a lifestyle. He wants this to be a relationship, not just a 6 to 7 relationship, and we'll pick it up later. So what we've done, Jesus came to pay the ultimate price to bring us into this relationship. And what do, we, what do Christians do right away? What do I got to do? What work do I got to do? What, what's, what's the best way now for me to live a Christian life? And we forgot about the relationship. Everything comes and flows out of this relationship with the Lord. Everything. Marriage, with the Lord. Parenting, with the Lord. Finances, with the Lord. We're trying to do these things apart from him and asking God, would you just bless this? No, he wants to show you stuff. He wants to be involved in every facet, like what Jamie was saying this morning. He wants to be the Lord in all of this. So we have to give him that access. So what we're doing is we're training ourselves to stop and to acknowledge the Lord and give him access throughout our days, not just Sunday. All right. Now, have anybody ever, you know, just kind of done this throughout your day? Just to kind of take a pause, maybe walk to the bathroom or something. 
and just go, Lord, is there anything that I, that I can say or anything that we can do at this moment? Is there anything that you want to bring across maybe to a fellow worker? Is there anything that I maybe need to do or just send a message off? Is, Lord, is there anything right now that's hindering you and I from walking in this close relationship? And just constantly have this talk and conversation going. And notice, he'll talk back. We have a God. This is a, this is a, a dialogue between me and him, not a monologue. Okay. Now, again, going back to Moses here is that we don't know what's on the other side of our obedience to these calls. Just constantly saying, I'm going to take a, just a quick little sidestep here. Lord, how we doing? Anything that you want to say? Imagine if Moses never did that. Now, thank God he did. And as a result, he became a vessel now of reconciliation but to a whole nation. First of all, I mean, Moses was probably blessed right after that event. Man, just going, man, a burning bush, are you kidding me? And God revealed himself. And so that encounter, it fueled, I mean, Moses changed after this. There is this passion and this hunger to know the almighty God. And what had happened, out of that encounter came more. He walked with God. He talked with God as a friend. He worked side by side with God. This is what all stemmed from this one lifestyle of just turning to stop and to see. And, and he, he became, became influential in freeing an entire nation from slavery after 400 years. Wow. And we just go, well, that's amazing. But you can't forget Exodus 3, verse 1 through 4. That's where it all began. He stopped to turn to see what's taking place here. Now, for you and I, it's not like God's going to you know, light something on fire for you and I. But you and I, you get these inklings on the inside. You get this scratchy feeling on the inside where the Spirit of God is there, and he's going, hey, just come with me for a little bit. I want to talk to you. And we override that going, oh, man, Lord, I'm busy. Man, the new, you know, there's a new movie coming. I, I got to do this. I got to do that. And meanwhile, oh, okay, he's a gentleman, so he'll just go ahead. So we got to pick up these spiritual cues and listen what's going on the inside because, again, the purpose to all this is not only I can experience this encounter and my life be radically changed, but now I become a vessel of reconciliation for encountering this good God. All right. Now, again, like I said, we've been trying to reach people out of a mechanical relationship with the Lord. And I believe the Lord is calling us to a place of lifestyle encounter with him where now we are actually now being properly used and not just trying to preach to people out of our tradition, try to preach people out of, you know, what we say or seem is right to thing to do. I mean, if there's no love, if there's really not even a heart of, man, I love this Jesus, people can tell when you love Jesus. There's this passion, there's this excitement in your eye, and love just bursts forth out of you. Anyways, and let's look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. This is, again, the high call. This, this is it. If you're wondering, man, what's my calling in life? I mean, like, of course, God has got a specific plan for you. Absolutely. But ultimately, you've been called by God. You've encountered him at some point in your life, and that's why you're sitting in these chairs this morning. You've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. For what? To fill up a space? To look, do good little Christianese things? No, but now to be involved with him. To Listen, God made all things new, and now he has reconciled us to himself, and he's given us this ministry of reconciling others to God. This is our high call. Verse 19, in other words, it was through the anointed one that God was shepherding the whole world and he wasn't even counting the records of their transgressions. And he has entrusted to us, not angels, he's entrusted to us. Our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Spirit of God himself has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. That's good news. So it's not the government's job. It's not some other businesses. It's ours. Who is us? The called out ones, the ecclesia, the church. This is our message. And now we are ambassadors. What do ambassadors do? And I found out this is a word Julian showed me. You ambassad. <laughs> Take that to your Scrabble board and throw it on there and get all those triple plus points. All right. <laughs> For those of you wondering, I played Scrabble maybe once and it was on a little computer thing and I, nah, I got better things to do. All right, we are ambassadors of the anointed one who carry the message of Christ as though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. So we tenderly plead with you, come back to God or return to God. So our message to the world is return to God. God's not holding your transgressions against you. He's not holding the sin against you. What is the sin of the world? The rejection of Jesus. 
Jesus paid the whole price so that we can do be reconciled into this relationship. And now once you have this relationship with the Lord, it's not like this reconciliation stops. Now you need to be reconciled to his ways. Know how he does things. Know how he thinks. Because in this kingdom, it operates so much differently than the last 50 years you've been operating in the world. It's different. So what do I need to do? Try to, you know, adapt my Christianity to fit into this boat? No, you got to jump ship. This one sucks. There's holes everywhere. There's holes in this theology. There's holes in this thinking. I got to get out and I got to see what does God say about this? What does God think about finances? What does he say about genders? What does he say about this? What does he say about children? And da 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 And our minds are being formed now to this word rather than the opinions and the culture of this boat over here. It's stupid over here. They think they're smart. Bob Romans 1 says that. They're thinking that they're progressing in their knowledge. They actually become utter fools. So you want to see the capital of stupid. It's just right here. It's this way of thinking in the world. It's dumb. And that's why God says, come out from among them and come into here and I'll show you my ways. There's nothing more beautiful to see a child of God who's accepted Jesus all of a sudden align their thinking to match with God and see his results. That's what I'm talking about. That's what the Lord is talking about. All right, we're still good? Okay. Now, again, just to be clear, what we don't mean by encounter is just limiting our experience with God by a feeling. Anybody ever had a good feeling before? Or you kind of felt something when you're in worship service or, man, the Spirit of God is... Okay. Those are, that's wonderful. There's nothing wrong with any of that. We just don't go looking for it or limit our experience to a feeling. God is so much bigger than a feeling, and what's the problem? Because feelings can sometimes lead you a bit of astray. So we're not looking for that all the time. If they come, whoo, sweet. Got the goosebumps all over. <laughs> right? All right. There's nothing wrong with that. Secondly, thinking that an encounter with God is having a vision or a sign, again, we're limiting him. So what we've done now is that we're looking for the spectacular and we're missing the supernatural. And what's the supernatural? The supernatural is simply found in aligning my thinking. So you kind of think, well, this, this is just work. This is kind of boring. No, this is supernatural. That you created on this earth, born into this dark world system, came out of this world, and I've been transferred into this new kingdom. And you start thinking like this new kingdom, and you start seeing the kingdom results in your life. That is supernatural. And we go, oh, God, just, I just, just touch me, God, just touch me. Oh, I want to feel something. And those can come, and that's, that's wonderful. But the highest way the kingdom operates is seed, time, and harvest. That's how the kingdom of God works. So I have to get the seed from his word. It has to get implanted into my mind, and I start thinking and start renewing my mind until one day, oh, I see it. That's how God does it. I see it. Let's start doing this. As for me and my house, we will do the word. And now you start to see the word's results. This is a lifestyle of encounter. Okay. Now again, a lifestyle of encounter, I, I believe my part this morning is just to bring it down to the very foundation of root of where does this all begin. Learning to live and operate from this living or lifestyle of encounter is knowing and having a heart established in the grace and the love of God for me. This is where it all begins. So are we okay we talking about this a little bit this morning? Okay. So let's go to John chapter 15 here, verse 9. <clears throat> Jesus said this, again, just before he went to the cross. He says, I love each of you with the same love that the Father has for me or loves me with. So he says, you must. Say it, I must. This is a command. Is it a suggestion? I must continually let his love nourish my hearts. Okay, let's say that together. I must continually let his love nourish my heart. This is who I am. This is what I do. I'm a child of the almighty God. This is my root. Now look at this in Ephesians chapter 3. I want to just read you this prayer that the apostle Paul prayed for the church. And it goes like this. I pray that he, the Father, would unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory and favor until supernatural strength floods your innermost being with his divine might and his explosive power. 
Now you read that and go, yeah, that's, wow, that's, that's great. What does that all mean? Well, you actually find this in the next, next verse. Look at this. Then by constantly using your faith or by you constantly depending on God, trusting in what he says, trusting in what he does, the life of Christ is being released deep inside of you. And notice how your life will change. The resting place of his love now is the very root and is the very source of my life. So that no matter what happens out here, when the world, the pressure comes on and I'm squeezed, God loves me. That's what comes out of me. When the pressure hits me in the face, I am so rooted and grounded in this love that no matter what comes my way, he loves me is my initial and first response. And when you say he loves me, what you're saying is everything the father has and is, he is on my behalf. This is the most powerful relationship that you can, this is what makes, I mean, for lack of a better word, Christianity different from all the religions that are out there. Jesus didn't come to give us a bunch of rules. He came to equip and bring us into a relationship with love himself. If you take love out of Christianity, what are you left with? Moral codes? Have some good ideas on here and there, but the love is what gives substance and power to this gospel. Now, By constantly using your faith. Oh, sorry, verse 18. Then you will be empowered to discover. Now notice what every holy child is supposed to experience. What is our experience supposed to be? The great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all of its dimensions. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love. How enduring and inclusive it is. Endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. Now, you know what else is nice is the love of God isn't clicky. Anybody hate clicks? With a passion. Anybody ever walk into a room once in a while and all of a sudden go, I do not belong here. <laughs> Why is this so awkward? It's because they've got these inside jokes. They've got these little clicks. In order to get into it, you got to work. you got to do stuff to get in. Well, with the kingdom of God, you're in. You walk and all of a sudden you just get born again and you walk into this new room of the kingdom of God and you go, And what's the first thing you're going to see? Hey, welcome to the fam. Come on in here. You're part. This is what this love is. It's inclusive. No matter what you came from. This extravagant love, look what it does. It pours into you until you are filled. Say with me, filled. This is what he wants. This is what the, the gospel is all about. This is what Christianity is all about. When I'm filled with overflowing with the fullness of God. What is that? The love of Christ. Anybody been in a service or you've been in a whatever it may be, in your own home maybe, and just the love of God just comes in and you are just overwhelmed and going, why am I crying? What is is this sense? It's the love of Christ that changes you. Verse 20, then he goes on to say, never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all of this. He will. Say with me, he will. What's he going to do? He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all for his miraculous power. What is his miraculous power? It's the love of Christ. It's working and it's energizing me on the inside. So what is working? It's the love of Christ. And again, the Apostle Paul in the Amplified Bible says it like this in verse 16. He says, may Christ through your faith actually dwell in your hearts. He says, may you be rooted. Say with me, rooted. This is it. You don't need anything else. This is what I'm rooted in. I'm rooted in how much I am loved by the almighty God. And again, what is the root? What is he saying, the root of your life? It's my identity or it's my initial response to whatever comes my way. So if this is my identity, I don't find my identity in what I do. I don't find my identity in what I own. Jesus was very straight about this. Look at this in Luke chapter 12. 
And if you read the whole passage, this whole chapter is beautiful. Jesus is really laying out, and he's giving these words. I think that maybe you've heard many times. I know I've used it for myself for these altar calls that we call them, where all of a sudden Jesus is explaining the love of the Father that he has towards you. He says he even knows all the hairs on your head. And that doesn't mean the number counts. He knows, actually, if you pull one out, that was number 7,342. He knows the number. Talk about creepy. He knows that all. He loves us. And he's explaining all this. He said, God even knows when the five sparrows go down. Are you not more important than these five sparrows? Are you not more important? He's trying to bring across a culture shift in them where they're thinking we have to serve this God. If we do something wrong, he's going to hurt us. He's trying to get them to come into the ship to see from the kingdom perspective, he is in love with you. In love, in love, in love, in love, in love. And that's why when God loved the world, he sent me to tell you and show you how much that I do. And then he goes on right after he was done saying all of this. One guy piped up and he said, hey, teacher, tell my brother to split our inheritance. So can you see there's a bit of a differencing of value here. Jesus is explaining the value of the heartbeat of the Father God towards you. He said, don't worry about all these things. That's what the heathens do. But the Father tenderly cares for you. And all of a sudden, this guy interrupts Jesus' message. Hey, teacher, can you tell my brother to split this inheritance with me? And if you look in the New King James Bible, Jesus says, and I think it's verse 12 or something, man, that's his response. Like, dude, did you just miss everything that I all said? Like, who, who am I to be the judge between that, between you and your brother? So then he goes on to say, speaking to the people, Jesus continued, be alert and guard your heart from greed and always wishing that you don't have for more. He says, for your life, say it, my life can never be measured by the amount of things I possess. So it's not measured by square footage. It's not measured by the car you drive. It's not measured by the paycheck you get. So we have to allow the word to redefine when we say, oh, man, they're doing pretty good. We look at somebody and we say, oh, they must be doing really well. Why? Because they're driving, what, a Ford Flex? <laughs> Some people go, man, they're doing good. Other people could be an Escalade. Other people go, you, you name whatever car that you want, some Bentley, something great out there. And we go, they must be doing really good. Why do we say that? Well, they, they got they have money and they're able to buy this stuff. So they, they're doing good. Well, we drive past a house and you see it on this beautiful lot right off a golf course. And man, that thing is just loaded up windows to, you know, 15 feet high. Go, man, they must be doing really good. I wonder what they do. They must be doing all right. How do you know? Because Jesus right here clearly said that your life is not measured by what you possess. And meanwhile, we got a whole Western culture that is thinking you're only doing good when you have... When you look, when you drive, and oh, you just, that's what you drive? Yeah, you must be really struggling. <laughs> oh, you drive that? Yuck. Ew. Sorry, we'll pray for you. <laughs> you drive a minivan? Ugh. I feel those staring looks coming at you. I feel that. All right. Shirley is my only cheerleader over there. Okay. <laughs> But we have to start allowing the word of God now to redefine what we say they're doing pretty good. And look at this in verse 21. If you just go a couple verses later, Jesus clearly laid out, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. What is he calling valuable? A rich relationship with God. So what's valuable to you? Is it to get the next best house, the next best thing? Is it to get all these things? You may go, oh, great, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that must be comfortable. That must be very nice. But you and I have to now redefine what is good because now I'm, I'm redefining it in my own life. Lord, what is, he's doing good, mean to me? It means this, that I have a rich relationship with the Lord knowing I can hear his voice. That to me is priceless. You find that all the way in the book of Proverbs. You said it's, it's better to actually have a salad with someone you love than a steak with someone who hates you. Really? Or he says it's better to have an attic with a, a wife that likes you than to have a mansion with a wife who hates you. 
So he, what, what's happening? We are allowing the word of God to redefine what is good and what is not. Because again, you can't measure, oh, that church is doing well. They got that. They're doing what they got. It. They got this. It means nothing. According to what I see in the book of Revelation, Jesus commenting on churches, and he says, hey, like you got all these things going for you, but you're dead on the inside. So what's rich? A rich relationship with him. So now let's go back a little bit. If this is what he's defining is a rich relationship with him is valuable or, man, they're doing good. That's the, that's the, the standard there. How do I establish my heart in the love of God? This is where it all begins is knowing I am loved by God. How do I go about doing this? How do I get rooted in how loved I am by God? Let's look at Psalm chapter 1, 1 verse 3. It says, what delight comes to the one who follows? What, what, what comes? Misery? Oh, fine, I'll do it God's way. And that's how, honestly, that's sometimes how we think. Well, fine, I'll just do it God's way. I mean, it's kind of boring. You know, it doesn't make any sense. And, but he actually says there's delight when you get involved doing it. And what's the difference? Because right at the moment, why you think this is boring is because the word of God to you is not delight, it's law. Oh, fine, I'll do the word. And so the word of God will not be delightful to you because the word now, rather than allowing, seeing the word as freedom, you now see the word of God as a cap over your life, not allowing you to do certain things. The word won't let me, so I guess I just have to do this. No, no, no. The word is showing you a higher alternate route. I get to do this. <laughs> all right. I'm glad we're all happy. Okay. He continues. He says, he won't walk in step with the wicked, nor share the sinner's way, nor be found sitting in the scorner's seat. So again, we're talking about how to be rude in the love of God. Verse 2, his pleasure and his passion is remaining true to the word of I am. And now notice this word. We've got to get back to this. Meditating. Meditating is not emptying your mind. Of all the stuff out here, meditating is actually filling your mind with the word of God and allowing that word to now form your brain to get develop new paths so you start thinking like this. What is he doing? He's meditating day and night in the true revelation of light. That rhymes. What am I doing? Meditating day and night. Can you guys go back? Because you interrupted my rap. <laughs> Meditating day and night in the true revelation of light. Actually, that doesn't really work. Anyway, continue on. Okay. <laughs> Trying to get my, my rap in. Now, notice what comes. So he's meditating or he's thinking on. He's becoming on the inside, putting this in his brain. Now, notice what happens in verse 3. He shall be. Thinking precedes being. So what do I need to do is I need to invest time in knowing and seeing the love of God for me and what happens that starts forming me here and then before when I'm forming, I become. So a lot of times in Christianity, we want the quick microwave thing. Like just slap a prayer on me. Oh, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus. Oh, yeah, that feels good. Okay, I'm all good. No, no, you have got to let this thing form and sit and marinate on you for a long time and once that word gets in there, then you got it and you know it. He will be standing firm like a flourishing tree planted by God's design. Notice what will happen. You are deeply, come on, y'all, rooted. Come on, say it with me, rooted. Come on, like, like, a, like a real gruff guy. Rooted. <laughs> All right. That sounded a little better. Deeply rooted by the brooks of bliss. Bearing fruit in every season of his life. See, we, we want all of this, but we don't want to do verse 2. Verse 2 is all about, I'm just filling my mind. I'm filling my thoughts. I'm envisioning the love of God towards me. And man, when you just sit there, that will just slap you across the face. And all of a sudden, oh, that's who I am. That's who I am. That's who I am. I don't need anybody out there to tell me who I am. I get that from the creator. The creator says I'm a loved son of the almighty God. Sickness comes my way. Do you know who I am? I'm a child of God. No, 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 no. Get off of me. 
All of a sudden, whatever tried to attack your way, now you know who you are. Rather than fighting for victory, you are fighting from this place of sonship, of daughtership, and you say, no, 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 this is who I am. This is what God says. Back off. And what happens? The enemy has to flee. So this is everything for us. I'm loved by God. He is never dry, never fainting, ever blessed, and ever prosperous. That is what I'm talking about. Now, why is it important for us to be rooted in the love of God? Again, if you go to Matthew chapter 13, I know I'm giving you lots of verses this morning, and you're welcome. (laughs) But if you look in Matthew 13, again, he's talking about the parable of the seed and the sower. And again, you hear about this beautiful parable, Jesus said, if you can't understand this, you can't understand how the kingdom operates. This is vital for us because he's explaining to you and I that the seed goes out four times and it worked once. Is it different seed? No, it's the same word that gets preached everywhere. Why does it only work 25% of the time? Because there's heart conditions that are going on. And one of them, Jesus actually clearly laid out, he actually said that there is a, uh, a shallowness taking place in a believer's life. How do you fix shallow? You have to get rooted in how much God loves you. What makes somebody deep in the Lord is knowing they are loved by God. Well, really? Isn't it by how long they pray? Well, that, that'll be a result after they know something. But sometimes we just make these speculations. Well, that's what a deep Christian is. No, that's what they do this. They think that. They do this. No, no, no. The Bible says they're rooted and grounded in love. That's how they know that they're deep. So he says the seed or the word of God that was sown on gravel represents the person who gladly hears the kingdom message. But his experience remains shallow. Verse 21, shortly after, he hears this word. Now remember, he hears the word, and what is he doing? Woo, that was good, man. I love it. Preach it. Do it again. Shortly after he hears it, he leaves the building, goes into the parking lot, and troubles and persecution come. Why? <laughs> Anybody ever have that happen before? And all of a sudden, you left somewhere, and all of a sudden, you go where? And Oh, man, guess who met you on the road? A slow driver. Driver that gave you a finger. Whatever it may be. Troubles and persecutions come. Why do they come? Because of you? No, sorry, it's not all about you. (laughs) Why do the problems come? Because of the kingdom message that you heard. So if you can identify right here, I'm hearing something about the love of God. Satan's goal is to try to choke that word that you've heard by bringing problems and persecutions. Now, again, we're not talking about self-afflicting problems. Bad choices equal problems. But we're talking about you're hearing the word and you're doing the word. You're doing what you know is right. And problems come. You have to know this, that the enemy is after something. So you've got to identify, oh, hold on a sec. Somebody starts making fun of you. Somebody starts bashing, oh, you Bible thumper. Oh, you just Jesus radical loser. Yeah, that's what, yeah, come on, devil. Keep talking, keep talking. What do I know? You're trying to get something that I got. So I mean, something's working. Do you see that? Then quickly he falls away. Why? Because the truth didn't sink deeply enough into his heart. And what again is the root of us as believers? It's how loved I am by God. So I'm going to finish up here. We're going to go more into this. But what do I need to do? I need to see how great the Father's love is for me. I have to see it. Look at this in 1 John 3.1. He says, look. What does it mean to look? Look with wonder at the depth of of the Father's marvelous love that he lavished on us. And what does he do? He calls me. He calls you. And he made us his very own beloved children. Now notice, the reason that the world doesn't recognize who we are is that it doesn't recognize him. 
Well, how sad would this be also is that the believer doesn't recognize who he is because it doesn't recognize him and his love. We have a lot of Christians who don't know who they are. So we, we're getting mad at all the, the world out there that's, you know, throwing 89 genders at you. You figure out which one you are. We get ticked off at that. Yet at the same time, believers are still walking around, I don't know who I am. I, I, I know God loves me, but, 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 but. You're throwing all that stuff around. We have an identity crisis in the church. And what's the way to fix it? You've got to take the time to see the love that God has for us. Who am I? Who are you? That sounded real strong. The devil would like to eat your lunch for breakfast. Doesn't really make sense. For lunch. He'd like to eat your lunch for lunch. <laughs> Is it hot in here? Is it? <laughs> but I'm talking about, we got to put this devil on the run. How do we do that? <laughs> How do we do that? Pray him away? We've got to know who we are. Come on, that question is thrown out there. Who am I? Even the angel. What is man that you're mindful of him? They're fabricated about what, what is this? What is this thing? And Christians are so confused about who they are. And so that's why they're, they're walking. They're kind of siding in with the world. They're kind of siding in with the church. They got one foot here, one foot there. And they're just having this identity crisis. Meanwhile, condemning the world because of their mess. And they're trying to figure out who they still are. It's time that we get established in knowing who we are in Christ Jesus so we can boldly step out and say, this is who I am, this is where I'm going, and this is who God says about me. Why was Jesus so successful? I know who I am, and I know where I'm going. So who are you? Thank you. Who are you? Come on, y'all. Who are you? What kind of child? I'm a beloved child of God. That's who I am. You read all of 1 John. 1 John is rich with wisdom from heaven. And what's the majority of what he's talking about? Love. This is what this whole thing's about. If we don't get this right, forget about everything else. All these encounters and what we'll be end up doing, if I don't have this root knowing that I'm loved by God, I'll be looking for experiences. I'll be looking for somebody who's got this powerful ministry to lay hands on me and all of a sudden, shaka, everything changes. What do we need? A clear understanding on the inside. This is who I am. When somebody starts coming and blasting you, saying this is who we are, accusing you, coming after you, I have to know who I am. And now at some point I'll share my testimony, but I had a pretty crappy year last year for my own self internally. There's some stuff, and I'll, I'll get to that at one point. But that was a struggle that was constantly in my brain. I had never felt, I had never experienced what anxiety was until about six or about last year, September. Never felt that in my life. What was the answer? The Lord kept bringing me back. 1 John 3, 1. See, you got to see it, your son. You got to see it. You can talk it. You can think it once in a while. You got to see this. Why? It's what keeps people from doing something bad to themselves and not. You've got to see something because the devil's not letting up the pressure. So what do we do? We turn the pressure back on on him. How? By knowing who I am. Every time the enemy came after Jesus, what did he do? If you really are the Son of God. Turn these stones into bread. If you really are the Son of God, jump. If you really are, I'll give you these nations. If, 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 if. That's his only tactic. You think after two or 6,000 years of human history, we'd be able to figure out the enemy's game and how he works. This is his only tactic. If you think you really are, do you really know who you are? And this is why we have a whole generation and sadly, the generations previous are just screaming at them, you don't know who you are. Maybe you're a boy. Maybe you're a girl. Maybe you're neither. Maybe you're a cat. <laughs> but can you see how twisted that is? And this is not to make fun of anybody that's struggling with that. We want to call you in because Jesus has a purpose for your life. You can't find happiness in a sex change. It's impossible. 
So what do you need? I need him. He is joy. Last verse here, then I'll be done. But what's the result? When I see and experience this love of God, and I see how dearly he loves me, those who are loved by God, they let his love continually pour from you to one another. This encounter is not just for me. Others are supposed to benefit from it. Then he says, because God is love. Everyone who loves is fathered by God and experiences. What are you experiencing? A whole intimate knowledge that you can't get any other way. People are, man, I want to know God. I want to go deeper into the realms of God. I want to experience and I want to see. You know where it's found? It's found in knowing who you are as a loved child of God. In closing, I know I'm saying that again, but I really mean it. I want to just read this to us. Romans chapter 8. Can I just read you a couple of these verses? Let it just soak into your hearts this morning. So what does all of this mean? If God has determined to stand with you, tell me who then could ever stand against you? For God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up, freely, God wasn't withholding, God wasn't, uh he freely gave him as a sacrifice for us all. He will certainly, or he won't, sorry, withhold from you anything else that he has to give. Yo, that's an answer right there. Lord, I, I'm, I'm, I'm lacking something in my life. What do I do? Hold on. He loves me. If he gave me Jesus, do you not think he would take this care, this worry or anxiety off of me? If he gave me Jesus, don't you think he would heal my leg? If he gave me Jesus, don't you think he'll take care of my rent? So what's lacking, church? I'm not seeing his love. I'm not going and letting this wash over me so all of a sudden all those fears and doubts that all the world is worried about the shortages that are that are taking place the skyrocketing prices that are coming up what's the church looking and sounding like they sound just like them why because we don't know who we are i'm loved by god if he's got to feed me by bringing telling birds to land in my backyard and bring meat he'll do it I'm, I'm sure he'd make a cow fly for me, land in my backyard. We're having a barbecue. And meanwhile, we're just thinking and we're going, oh, those shelves are empty. Oh, those gas prices are high. Have you seen beef? Oh, man, those cows are looking. What is going on out there? And meanwhile, maybe unknowingly, but we start to sound and take on the echo of this world. And we think like them and we talk like them. And meanwhile, you have a father screaming in heaven, I love you. Hey, I created all this. I could make it rain manna in a moment and you'd be fed for years. Do you know what the actually, if you look at the commentary and theologians actually see when God rained down manna from heaven for the Israelites, one day was enough to feed those three million people for 2,000 years. That's how much manna what they woke up to. And they told, God told them, only take enough for today. Why? I'm your source. Don't start storing because that's the first thing people go to. Get all the toilet paper you can. <laughs> Do you see how nuts we are, people? It's Adam and Eve sewing fig leaves together to make a bathing suit. It doesn't work. And this is the whole problem that we've seen from the Garden of Eden is man trying to be the source for man. It's impossible. What do I do? He loves me. So I actually have done that a few times. I walk into a store or I walk at the gas station. Oh, gas is a little bit higher. Hmm. You love me. You love me. 
It's not feel you love me. <laughs> this becomes my root. And as a result, it now also becomes my fruit. Who then would dare to accuse those whom God has chosen in love to be his? God himself is the judge who has issued his final verdict over them, not guilty. Let me just speed this up here a little bit. He says this, In the midst of all these things, we triumph over them all. For God has made us to be more than conquerors, and his demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. Why am I victorious? Because you can't, you can't say this, I am more than a conqueror. You've got to finish the sentence. I am more than a conqueror through his love. But he says, I'm more than a conqueror as, because his demonstrated love is my glorious victory over everything. His love is my victory. While you're facing what's coming up, he won, so I win. He loves me, so I win. We're going to have to learn to talk like champions. We're going to have to learn to talk like victorious people. Victorious people know who they are. Where is this all rooted? I can't do anything in of myself, but I am loved by Almighty God. Therefore, I will not and cannot fail. I'll finish this off, and then I want you just to sit for a second. Let the love of God hit you. While Wyatt is, he's, there's an anointing on that man right over there. Just let him hit you. So now I will live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. Listen to these words. I'm convinced that his love will triumph over death. Death, life's troubles, fallen angels, dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing in our present or our future circumstances that can weaken his love. There is no power above us or beneath us. No power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Nothing. So right where you're seated this morning, I want to let the love of God just let it be in you and on you just for a moment. I'm going to just pray and then you just, just, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to see his love. Meaning if you need to, just get a picture of him on that cross. His eye on you saying, I did this for you. And this cross, this teleo, this finished work is for you. So Father, right now in Jesus' name, Lord, your word says that our God will supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus, not according to the financial or according to the systems of this world or the governments, but according to your standard of operation, your MO. So Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we just open up our hearts to you today to receive your love. Father, where there was fear or anxiety or worry or anxiousness in any of that sort of that darkness, Lord, I'm praying and I'm asking you, sir, through your Holy Spirit, who's been given to us to live mightily on the inside, and he constantly fills our hearts with your love, we yield to you right now in Jesus' mighty name. Now, 